watching them leave. Not that I love watching them leave, because I love them, but it's so fun to watch the parade of little kids that are in our church. That's a great deal. Um, hey, my name is Phil Zwerink. Um, I, I know a lot of you. So there are a few of you that I don't know, but um, I'm the area director for Young Life here in St. Joseph, and, um, and, and uh, it is a pleasure for me to come and speak to you and get an opportunity to, uh, to talk a little bit this morning. Um, I do want you to know that I think Bob did me dirty. Okay, here's what happened. So Bob called me the other day and he goes, hey, can I get you to speak? And I was like, sure, I think I can do that. He goes, all right, so I would like for you to cover Genesis 49 and 50. And I was like, I think I can do that. And then he texted me a little while later. Oh, yeah, and can you summarize 46, 47, and 48? Oh, yeah, and you might want to, like, remind people what I talked about the weekend before. Oh, yeah, and by the way, this is the last sermon, sermon in the sermon series. So can you wrap the whole thing up? And so, so yeah, thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. Now, it really is a privilege for me to come and be here with you guys, and um, uh, I do want you guys to get, go ahead and get your Bibles ready. We're going uh, to be in Genesis um, 40, probably 49, but I'm, I'm going to start in some different places. So um, I do want you to know before I get started that uh, just this past week I started a weight loss program, Okay. Um, I want you to know, about a week and a half ago, I think God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, big fella, <laughs> it's time to start uh, whittling away at the body a little bit. Um, it's crazy that, my, that God seems to sound like my wife a little bit. So um, <laughs> she did not say that. So I, I, but, um, but it's been interesting. I've been going through this program called Real Appeal, um, and it, it's been fun. I've been, I've been doing some things. I've been counting calories. Um, which is an interesting thing. That's kind of a, a fun deal. Um, I've, been, I've been learning that, that, that there's a process that I need to trust, okay? Uh, it's also not a new phrase to me. Um, my friend Jacob Kimball, who uh, is a basketball coach at, at uh, Central, he, he talks about that, the stuff that he does with uh, uh, high school guys who are on the basketball team. He just says, trust the process. It was crazy when I heard the, my personal trainer, actually it's not a she's a group session person. She said, trust the process. Um, they told me that, that I needed to expect some things. I needed to expect some frustration, um, maybe some hunger, and at times despair. <laughs> that wasn't very encouraging. But she also said, hey, it would be good. Um, you, you all should, so, should expect to feel some, some sense of accomplishment. Um, you should feel like, uh, hey, there's encouragement coming as we meet together in our sessions, um, and, and you should begin to see some success as, as you follow the process and trust the process. And so that's been fun. Um, I also got a note from her the other day saying, hey, um, when you post your like, pictures online, make sure you wear your shirt. <laughs> so um, I, I imagine she didn't want to see my 250-pound body on there. Um, anyway, so I want you to know that that's the backdrop for what, what has been happening um, and what I've been preparing uh, for, to, to share with you guys this morning. And so um, I, I, I do want you to know this is, uh, so we've been studying Jesus in Genesis, um, and uh, it has been a fascinating sermon series for me to sit and listen to and to be a part of, and, um, and, and so it is, this is a lot of fun for me to be able to kind of wrap it up a little bit too. 
Um, so last week, I do want you to know that Bob left us with this. He left us in this place with Joseph. Um, Joseph is Jacob's son. Joseph had been sold into slavery um, and um, his, his, by his brothers. And his brothers, there's been a famine in the land, and now his brothers have come to Egypt. Joseph got taken out of a well um, and, uh, and put in charge, basically, through a series of crazy events, got put in charge of almost all of Egypt. And so now his brothers are coming to Egypt to find some refuge. They're coming to Egypt to, to get some resources, to find some things that are um, they're going to be help, help, them, help their family survive. And so Joseph uh, has these encounters with his brothers, and his brothers don't even know it's him. And so they have these crazy things. And Bob, Bob kind of went back uh, and talked about what happened when, uh, when they came forward. They didn't recognize him. Um, he gives them grain. He sends them home. And he does this crazy deal where he, like, sends them home. And in one of the bags, the bag of Benjamin, the youngest brother, um, he puts a silver cup that belongs to the Pharaoh in his bag. And so and then he sends them away. And, and, and when they go away, Joseph sends two of his servants to go and say, hey, one of you guys stole the silver cup, and you need to bring it back. The one, who, the one who stole it needs to bring it back, so Benjamin needs to come back. And so as they're coming back, this crazy thing happens with, with Judah. Judah realizes that, hey, man, I can't, I can't go home without my, without my youngest brother because my dad, my dad is going to kill me if I don't come home with my oldest brother. And so Judah comes back and says, hey, look, if, if, if I don't go home with my brother, my dad, it, it's, gonna, it's not going to be good. And so I want to offer myself to you. I want to offer myself in place of him as your slave. Now that's important because that's going to be something that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. Um, and so finally... Um, once they all come back, so all of the brothers come back, including Benjamin, and this is the time when, when Joseph decides, hey, I'm going to reveal myself to my brothers. I'm going to reveal myself to everybody. And he finally says, hey, here's who I am. It's me. And he wept out loud. And he cried. And he said, I have a family again. And then he sends his brothers back to his father, Jacob, and says, I want you to go get my entire family and bring them here. Okay? So that's where we left. That's where Bob left us last time. Last time. And I want you to know that there's some crazy things that happen. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get to some interesting stuff about Judah and about Joseph. But we can't get there unless I tell you just a little bit about what happened in the book um, in, in chapters 46 and 47 and 48. Okay? So Joseph uh, has sent them away. Um, Jacob... Um, realizes that he has a son, and he cries. Um, and he's filled with joy and says, hey, we're going to go back, we're going to go, and we're going to go check out, um, uh, check out where, where Joseph is. And so they all come to Egypt to come to where Joseph is. And um, I, I do want you to look at, uh, in, in chapter 46, verse 29, um, it's on page 45, there's this passage of Scripture that I think is very movie-esque, Okay? So we're gonna, I'm going to read this. It's 46, it's on page 45, verse, chapter 46, verses 28 through 29. And here's what it says. Now Jacob sent Judah 
ahead of him to go find Joseph and get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph and his chariots made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father. And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. I find that pretty movie-esque. In fact, in my mind, it kind of goes like this, where Joseph, before the chariot even stops, the door opens, he jumps out, and in slow motion, it's like, you know, like chariots of fire in the background, and Joseph and Jacob, like, clash, and they hug and embrace, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like loud music, and then the credits roll. That's what I picture The greatest part is there's more. (laughs) There's more to the story. So Joseph, uh, Joseph and Jacob, they they settle on the land. They're they're together um, there. And and in verse 47, uh, or in chapter 47, there's this cool part about it. So like there's still another 17 years left in Jacob's life. And it talks about what happened to Joseph in those 17 years. It talks about how he had earned the favor of Pharaoh and how he continues to earn the favor of Pharaoh. That all of Egypt is still in this famine, so the people of Egypt come to, come to Pharaoh and say, hey, uh, we still need food. So they pay. They give, them, uh, they, get, they give Joseph all of the money so that he can have food. Then, then he takes their land. Um, and, and eventually, all of Egypt is in servitude to Pharaoh. Um, but he is a huge... He is a huge um, asset for Pharaoh and continues to win the heart of Pharaoh in in chapters 47. And then in 48, Joseph takes his two kids to meet their granddad, to meet Jacob. And there's this really cool deal where, you know, uh, Jacob is in that place. He can't hardly see. He's old, um, and he can't hardly see. And he goes and he blesses both of Joseph's children. Um, and I want to remember, I want you guys to remember that Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the younger, Esau was the older. When he blesses them, he takes his right hand, puts it on the younger. And, when, and he takes his left hand and puts it on the older. That bugs the crud out of Joseph. He's like, wait a minute, that's the wrong way. But no. Jacob blesses the older or the younger in place of the older. Not that they're not both great, but he blesses. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, and then we get to verse, we, then we get to chapter 49, and we find ourselves in the last two chapters. And I want you to know that there, this, these two chapters are filled with great stuff. They're filled with absolutely amazing things. But I want to point out two things to you this morning. So um, we're going to, uh, we're, we're getting to the place, Jacob is about ready to die. He is on his deathbed, um, and Jacob calls all of his children, all 12 of them, to his bedside. Um, and he literally talks, talks in there about how he sits up out of his bed, and he puts his feet on the floor, um, and he wants to give them a blessing. And it's not like a blessing like, hey, I'm going to give you something it's, it's more of like a, a blessing of, hey, I'm going to interpret your life and foreshadow your future. 
And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 through 12. It's on page 48 of your Bible. Okay, and I'm going to read this out loud. Here's what it said. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around me so that I can tell you what happens to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excellent in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the water. You will no longer excel. For you went up into your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. Simeon and Levi, your brothers, your swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let, their, let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce and so, so fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you, and your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. Your lion's cub, you are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from, return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until, until, he, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkeys to a vine. His colts and choicest branches will wash his garment in wine and his robes in blood of grapes. And his teeth and his eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth will be whiter than milk. We're going to stop right there just for a minute. It's interesting to point out there are 12 sons. And I am not going to read all of the blessings of the 12 sons, all of the interpretation for the 12 sons. But I do want you to know it goes on similar to this, except for the fact that there are three of the sons that Joseph has very positive praise for. There's three of the sons. It's Judah, Joseph, and Benjamin. And I understand why... Joseph and Benjamin hold that positive, that positive blessing. You see, um, uh, Jacob had, had, uh, had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Rachel was the one that Jacob absolutely loved. That was his beloved, his true love. And she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And I understand why there is this blessing, this desire, this, hey, you, there's a positive thing for you. There's, there, God is going to do great things for you. But Judah, why Judah? Judah is the one that when, so, so I don't know if you remember back in the story, but so his brothers conspired to kill him. Reuben said, hey, maybe it's not a good idea that we kill him. And Judah said, no, let's throw him in the pit. Let's throw him in the well. And then he was like, no, maybe we shouldn't let him die in the well. We'll just sell him away. We'll sell him away as a slave. Judah, this dude is a sleazeball. Judah, if you, if you read other parts of Genesis, like he ends up having child with his daughter-in-law. 
I mean, this guy is a, he, he has got, he's done some not great things. Why blessing from Judah? Why a blessing for Judah? In fact, it's interesting that you, sh- you need to know that Jesus Christ was born out of the line of Judah. Why would God choose for that to be his bloodline? Why Judah? We need to go back into chapter 44 to begin to look at why that's such a big deal. Um, and so I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you guys to look back with me. We're going to go back to verse chapter 44. I've gotten, I just started using reading glasses. These are a pain in the keister. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, I'm going to put them over here. and I'm going to try to do this without using them. Um, so we need to go back in chapter 44, um, verses 25 to 33, and we're going to look at what happens here. Um, 44, verses 25 to 33. Here's what it says. Our father said, go back and buy a little bit more food. Jacob said, Jacob said hey, we need more food. We're, about, we're, at the end of our, we're at the end of our resources. We need some more. I want all you brothers to go get us some more food. Go back to Egypt. And get some more. It says, Our father said, Go back and buy a little bit more food. But he said, But we said, We cannot go down only if our younger brother is with us. Will he go? Uh, We will go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then it says, Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. That was Joseph. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. Man, if Benjamin dies, if something happens to Benjamin on this trip, Joseph or Jacob said, I I don't know that I can handle that. And then in verse, I believe that's verse 39. I'm going to put my glasses back on. I apologize. In verse 30, he says, So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant for my father, and my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head, gray head down of your father, down to the grave uh, in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, you will bear the blame for you will bear the blame for you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return to his brother let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see this misery. That would come on my father. You see, when Benjamin came back and he had the cup in his bag, um, man, Judah knew. He knew. He knew that his dad was going to disown him. He knew that his dad was going to be, he he knew that his dad was probably going to die from the whole thing. Just out of sorrow that his dad was going to die. And I want you to see what Judah did. Judah, the the sleazeball, said, 
I am not going to think about myself anymore. I am going to give myself in place of Benjamin to Joseph as a slave. I will give myself as a sacrifice in place of my brother Benjamin. This is significant. It is huge. You see, God's story is absolutely amazing. God's story is about redemption. It is about change. It is about transformation. What has happened in the life of Judah is that. It is change. It is transformation. It is absolutely amazing. God is sharing with us exactly what he values, what he wants, what he desires. He is sharing us with us. I desire selflessness. I desire self-control. I desire for you to put your trust in me. I desire for you to give yourself away. That is what God wants. That is the story that is being told. Have you ever wondered why movies and things, why, why, what makes movies and things so epic? What makes them compelling to you? It, you know, like, it is not that some screenwriter has created a story. It's some screenwriter has said, hey, I am going to share with you the story that has been written on your life since you were created by the creator of the universe. The one of redemption. The one of sacrifice. The one of selflessness. Why is Darth Vader and his sacrifice in the end, why is that such a big deal? Why is the beast in the end of Beauty and the Beast that he sacrificed himself, why is that such a big deal? Why? It is because that is a compelling story. That is what God's heart is. That is what God's desire is. Now imagine this. If Judah had done these things that I find prevalent in our culture, imagine if Judah had said, I am worried about my father. I'm worried about all that stuff. But I'm going to take the day and browse Facebook to ease my pain. hey, you know what? I'm worried about my father. I'm worried about what's happening. I'm going to eat my feelings. That compelling? I'm listening to my, I see my father. I know his pain. And um, instead of that, instead of dealing with that, I am going to binge on Netflix. Or I'm going to talk about my friends behind their back. Or I'm going to look at pornography or whatever it is. That story is not compelling because it doesn't have any action. There's no sacrifice. There is nothing in that that says, hey, you know, I, wanna, I, I want to know that person. I want to be a part of that story. But Judah's story is compelling. Judah listens to that voice, that part inside of him that was created in God's image and said, no, no, I cannot let my father suffer I can't, I, I, I can't watch this go down. I can't watch my brother go down for something that's, that's, that's not his to, to do. I am going to give myself as a slave to Joseph. 
That transformation, I believe, is why, why God chose to have Jesus Christ be a part of Judah's line. He desires transformation. He desires change. He loves the redemptive process. It is absolutely compelling. It is amazing that God chose that. And I find it absolutely amazing. I love that, that God has said, hey, stand up, be selfless. Give yourself over to something that's bigger than you. The second thing in here that I really want to point out that I find is absolutely, absolutely amazing is that um, uh, it's in, uh, we're going to go back over to chapter 4, uh, we're actually going to start in verse 50 right here, or chapter 50, verses 1. If you want to read with me right here. I, want, I do want to ask you a question before I go on. So, like, knowing that Joseph and Benjamin were, like, the beloved children of Jacob, I, I want to, how do you guys think that Joseph and Benjamin felt towards their father, knowing that, that they were the beloved, that they were the, inherit, that they were the rightful inheritance? Heirs of, heirs of his, all of his head. How do you guys think that Joseph and Benjamin felt? Any thoughts? I mean, I'm not sure that I'm as glad that my father chose me, but also he assured me because the other brothers obviously told them to be careful that they didn't sin. Yeah. So they were glad probably initially that they had his favor, but there was also a burden that comes along with that, that, that they had to bear the burden of knowing that the other brothers resented him for it. Okay? How else might they have felt? How might you feel if you were in that spot, one of the beloved? What's that? Guilty? Guilty. Guilty for, for being in that spot, for taking a privileged space. Okay? How else? Yes, alone, maybe a little isolated because you know that Father treats you best. You know, my guess is that there was probably a little bit of a, there, at least for me, there would have been a little bit of a, hey, I got you. I'm going to take this thing and uh, we're going to go over here and I'm going to win. <laughs> Even though I don't deserve maybe to win necessarily. How about... The other nine brothers, of the other ten brothers, how do you think that they felt knowing that Joseph and Benjamin were the beloved? How would you have felt? Worthless, angry, jealous. What's that? Very jealous. Other words? Hurt, hurt, insecure, unloved, Unloved. absolutely. 
Oh, like I needed to prove myself. I had to work at it. I needed to prove myself. There's an interesting thing that happens when, when, when we don't feel like the equity is the same. There's an interesting thing that happens. And, and there's a real temptation, I think, for Benjamin and Joseph. And we're going to read some of those things. Um, so obviously, Jacob and Joseph know that they're the beloved. We're going to read there, right there in chapter 1. This is what happens right after Jacob passes, right after Jacob dies. Here's what happens. We see the first little bit of, of what happens um, to Joseph. It says, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph knew. He knew that his father loved him and cared about him. And he knew that there was, that there was beauty in that. He knew that there was. And there was place for him to do something that was absolutely awful. There was place for him now to bring revenge on his brothers. Now that his father was away, now that his father was passed away, there's a perfect opportunity for him to go, I'm going to show those brothers who sold me in slavery. I'm going to get them. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to put them in a well, and I'm going to let them die there. And you know what? The other brothers knew it was coming. They knew that that was possible. They knew that it was coming, that it might happen. And listen to what happens um, down, a little bit farther down in, uh, uh, 15, in verse 15, and tw- 15 through 21. Here's what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong stuff that we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father... Um, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers and their sins and the wrongs that they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. When this message came to, came to him, Joseph wept. Why in the heck would Joseph cry about that? Any thoughts? Why would Joseph cry at the thought of that? Why? Because Joseph knew that it was from them and didn't want, he he knew, he didn't want them to feel like that. He didn't want them to feel like like he might come get them. Any other thoughts? Mm. You know, I mean, obviously they didn't grow up together because he was in slavery, but I mean, Joseph has a good heart and he now knows that his brothers didn't think that because why else would they say he's forgiven? Yeah, Joseph may have felt very well unknown. Unknown. Yeah. My, uh, Joseph wept because of exactly that reason. Joseph was like, you don't know my heart. My heart is not to kill you. It is not, it is not to hurt, hurt you. We're going to continue to read. Um, so Joseph wept, and his brother then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Uh, Am I in God's place? Or am I in the place of God? 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done and saving the lives of many. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. There is a big deal here. You see, Joseph and Benjamin had the full blessing of their father. But they chose to use that blessing with humility. They chose to use that in a way that was constructive for the good of all of the people living in that land and also for Joseph's brothers. And the second characteristic, I think, of God shows up in here is that God does not desire revenge. He does not desire to be, to get you. God desires humility and kindness. He desires for those of us who are walking with him to not be arrogant in what we know, but to find humility and knowing that we are not God. I love that song that we sang, The Mightier, just for the reason that Dave spoke of. It's because God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not. Two things I find really important. God desires transformation, change, and sacrifice. And God desires humility. And my question to you guys this week is what is standing in your way of transformation? All of those things that I talked about, social media, gossip, pornography, food, all those things can be in place of genuinely giving yourself over to God and changing. Will you Remove those things from your life so that you can genuinely engage with God. Just like Bob has said in the past, if you're not willing to genuinely engage with God, this is just a hobby. And if this is just a hobby, go get a better hobby. But if you genuinely want to follow after Jesus, you will engage And you will allow those things that are taking the place of sacrifice, of of what, uh, of sacrifice in your life to something that's big. You will let those things go and begin to give yourself wholly to Jesus. God desires for you to be fully engaged with him. And he desires, once you're fully engaged with him, for you to go with the blessing and knowledge that he has given you in humility. And it is my request of you and of us all that we do that well. That if we genuinely want to create a new norm for the next generation, like our church says, that it's going to require selflessness. It's going to require us to give ourselves over to God and trust his process. I want to leave you with one last story. Um, C.S. Lewis is a, is a writer that 
lived during uh, when World War I was happening. And he, uh, he spoke a couple of times on the radio. And, and one of the times that he spoke, he talked about what it was like to be a writer and what it was like to be an author. And he was talking about God and talking about stories and how you create stories. Um, and he was talking about the fact that God's story is the most compelling and epic story that you could ever listen to or read. And that if he wanted to be a good writer, all he needed to do was mimic God's characteristics, was share God's characteristics. And he talked about God in this way, that God sent Jesus to die for you on the cross, for you alone. And here's what he said. You see, when an author sits down to write a book, he might write the phrase, Mary sat down. And the door bell rang. But for Mary, who's the character in the story, those two things happen one after the other. But for the author of the book, he might have written, Mary sat down and then went for a walk for an hour to think about what might happen next in Mary's life. And then the doorbell rang. And because we worship a God who is timeless, He is writing a story for you that is prepared in an excellent way with extravagance. Now that story, that illustration isn't quite complete because we play a part in it. You see, God gives us the ability to go, Mary sat down and the doorbell rang. But God gives us an ability to participate in a story and say, Mary didn't answer the door. (laughs) Or Mary got up, walked to the door, opened the door, and engaged in relationship with whoever she found on the other side of that door. We get to participate in God's story. And it's an excellent story that's being written for you by God. And I'm asking you, don't make it a bee movie. Don't trade your self-sacrifice and your trusting in God's, in God's process for the distractions of this world. It is not worth it. Jesus in Genesis shows us that God has been there from the beginning. His story is being written. He is writing it. And it is absolutely amazing. Will you choose to engage in it? Let me pray for us. Dear only Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you did in the lives of humanity when Genesis was happening. Lord, thank you for the excellence, the extravagance that you show on us. Lord, I pray that whether it's through joy and pain or sorrow and and hurt, Lord, that you will help us to fully engage in the story that you've created for us. God, your blessing on us is what we desire. And our sacrifice of of who we are is what's required. Lord, thank you for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.